So have you heard it? Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Have you heard it? You know what I'm referring to? It's that ridiculous commercial on TV with that talking camel going through the office asking people if they know what day it is. Now, I'm, I'm not using that to try to focus on us on a special day, but I am amazed how people just love those stupid kind of things, right? <laughs> Some of you probably caught right away what I was getting at with that, uh-oh, guess what day it is. I mean, you can even buy T-shirts and sweatshirts that have that camel on and that saying. What is it? Well, I guess it is kind of a special day anyway, at least in the church this day is kind of set aside to talk about pastors. <laughs> oh, great, just what you wanted to do, huh? That's a good yawner. <laughs> Let's talk about pastors. But specifically to talk about the pastors who were in the Bible. It's a day to remember people like Titus and, and Paul. And as we were just talking about needing to get another pastor with Pastor Cronenbush retiring, maybe you've heard some other things, too, or we're thinking it, you know. If only we had a pastor who, and you can fill in the blank. It seems that when there's an opportunity to replace somebody, everybody gets excited because now we can be out on the search for the super pastor in this case. And while everybody maybe has some thoughts as to you know, who we should get or what they should do, let's see how God guides us. In our messages, we're focusing on, on this thought of real people, real life, our real God. And today we want to talk about some of those real people. Uh, They are pastors, believe it or not, we are real people. But specifically we want to talk about Paul and Titus in the scriptures. And as we do that and listen to their, let's say, job description, and know that we're going to be calling for another pastor soon, let's consider these words from scripture with this idea of praying for a pastor and praying this, Lord, give us a pastor. Let's listen in to Pastor Paul write to Pastor Titus. Here's the first verses from that letter. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. While we may have certain thoughts in mind as to what we want the pastor to be like, Paul, in telling us about himself, tells us one important thing, and that is we want a pastor who's going to serve you, Lord. Now, maybe that seems kind of basic, (laughs) and it is, but it's very foundational also. Let me explain what I mean. When we listen to Paul talking about himself as a pastor, he is telling us two important things. First of all, he recognizes what his position is, that is, his relationship to God. He started out saying, Paul, 
a servant of God. Now, that word servant in our English language probably is too mild of a translation for what the word was in the original Greek. The original Greek, the, the, the word that Paul used, really meant a bond slave, a bond servant. Somebody who now had their life committed to somebody else as their slave, as their servant. Now, the first thing we have to do is get out of our mind the picture of that abusive slavery that we had in our country. What this is talking about was a little different. People sometimes were indebted to other people, and the way they would pay that off is they'd give them their life, basically. They said, I'm now your servant, your slave. I'm going to work for you. And when their debt was paid off, if they had a good relationship with that lord, that master, and they wanted it to continue because that master was so good, they would make that commitment and, and, and want to be in his service continuously. And so the Old Testament provided a way for that to be done. The, the lord, the master, then would take this servant, this slave, he would go to the priest, they would go to the tabernacle or the temple, and the priest would have that servant, that slave, take his earlobe and put it up against the wooden doorpost, and then he would take an awl and pound it through to make a hole. Yeah, ear piercing in the Bible. Who would have thought, right? And as that slave would go around in the community then, those holes in his ear would tell people, I'm committed as a slave to my master because I wanted to. He's a good guy. And that idea of being a bond servant or bond slave meant they were now taking their whole life and submitting it to the will and the authority of their Lord. That's what Paul was saying his life was when he called himself a bond slave. It wasn't because of any holes in his ears. It wasn't his piercings at all. In fact, it wasn't even his will to do that. That is, to be a slave to God. But it was the will of God for him. It was the piercings that were in God's Son who was nailed to the cross that established that relationship between God and Paul. And it was Paul, uh, God who had called Paul now to be in submission to him, to be that servant, that, that bond slave. And Paul was all the willing to do it because he knew of the character of the loving character of God. Six times in these few verses, Paul mentions God. And several times in this letter, he refers to God as his Savior. Isn't that a beautiful way to refer to God? As our Savior? The one who has loved us, who has promised and then performed that act that would bring us out of the slave market. That would take away the power of sin, and the penalty for sin, and ultimately the presence of sin in our life. That's why Paul was willing to say, my whole life is now in submission to the will of my loving Lord. Paul further describes his relationship when he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now that word apostle was just reserved for a few people, but in that culture that day, other people had that title as well, and it simply meant somebody who's been sent out with the authority of somebody else. Uh, we would maybe use the term ambassador today. He's going out as a representative and speaking the words and the will of the one who sent him. 
And Paul was saying, that's what my job is. Because of this bond, this special relationship that I have with my Lord, I am his representative. And so is Titus, this pastor that he was encouraging in the ministry and writing this letter to for all the people to read. These are God's people, God's representatives, doing the will of him and speaking his word. And so what's really key here is now that they are understanding what their purpose is. And and Paul is going to highlight, here's what my purpose is as a slave or as an apostle. Now I have to warn you here that Paul's going to use a a four-letter word. And he's going to use it six times in these verses. Oh, it's okay, it's a clean four-letter word, and it's four letters in Greek. It's a word that had to refer to relationship. It was talking about how you related, how you stood up to a certain set of standards, uh, what kind of harmony existed there, and and what kind of result and and, and purpose there was between the two entities. And so let's take a look at at those four-letter words here. I have them highlighted here. To further the faith. Paul says, my purpose is kata, that was a four-letter word, to further the faith of God's elect. Faith, that, that trust that we have in God and how he has performed our salvation. Our trust in his will and, and his word. And it was also to further their knowledge of the truth. And with that word knowledge, he just wasn't talking about a lot of facts that we stick in our head. The Greek word for the, that word knowledge really means that which we have experienced from another person. God's love. Paul was there, as, as, had as his purpose, to increase, to enhance the trust and the knowledge, that intimate relationship with the love of God. God's elect, yes. But sometimes God's elect believers struggle in life, struggle with their faith. Sometimes they have doubts, they have worries, they need reassurance. And Paul says, that's my role as a pastor, to bring that assurance to God's people. Assurance of what? Of that hope uh, that's going to, or rather of the truth that leads to godliness. And, and that was that four-letter word again. That leads to godliness. Now what's godliness? Luther stated it simply, it's worshiping and serving God. I like to say it's how we reflect God's grace to us in godly living. And so there's a result that pastors are striving for, and that is that that we would live out God's will and bring glory to him, because therein is the hope of eternal life in God's will for us. That hope, that assurance that we have eternal life because God said so. God, who does not lie and has promised it before the beginning of time, before we were born, before this world was created, God had his plan of salvation already set through what we call the Old Testament time, God kept that promise before his people and pictured it with the priesthood, with with the tabernacle and the temple and all those sacrifices. But ultimately, he performed it. He sent his own son into this world. God came into this world to live our life, to live it perfectly, which we can't do, so that there would be a record of perfection that would become ours through faith. And then then he took the penalty for our sins upon himself so we wouldn't be experiencing the wrath of God for our sins. 
though he died, he rose again from the dead to show the penalty was paid and there is life now. Just as he lives, so we too will live. That's what God promised and that's what God performed. And Paul now recognizes he's a steward, a manager, somebody who's been entrusted with a powerful treasure to proclaim it to others. So the key for a pastor's job is to do the will of God and to speak the word of God. Now, in that, there's also a message for us. That, that's a, a picture really for all of us and, and not just for pastors. It's a picture of what God wants his people to do. God has gathered us together because we are his redeemed. He purchased us from the sin market. And now he calls us to surrender our will to his. Have you ever thought yourself uh, thinking, well, I know what I want to do, or I know what we should do, or this is how I think things should go in the world, and, and God, this is what you need to do. <laughs> this is how it should run, God. We like to tell God, don't we, about how we think things should go. Well, that's not surrendering our will. God wants us to acknowledge that his will is best and to simply seek out what that will is and then to follow it, to submit to it, not to fight against it. Now, somebody may say, well, that is like being a slave then. You don't have any freedom. No, 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 no. True freedom is when you take your will, not to have it crushed by God, but to conform it to his good, pleasing, perfect will and enjoy the blessings he has planned for you. So, do you consider yourself to be a, a bond servant of God? Are you ready to submit your will to his will? And, and that's not just in church life. I mean, in every area of your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, in, in your school, in your work life, in your personal life, in your leisure time and recreational time, in your civic responsibilities, all of that should be in submission to his will because he tells us, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So honor me with your life. And when we do that, we just realize then how totally we dependent we are on the Lord. A, a good, loving Lord who provides for all of our needs, who directs our lives, who has called us together into his church and equips us and empowers us now to do his will. That's what pastors are about. That's what we are all about. And so we pray, Lord, give us a pastor who is ready to serve you and also to serve us. Paul's words to Titus continue. To Titus, my true son in our common faith. And that was that four-letter word again, kata, in our common faith. <laughs> Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order that which was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The first thing a pastor needs to do after recognizing that he is serving the Lord is that he's been sent to serve God's people. And he has to recognize who those people are. It's you. It's me. 
and it's everyone around us. Paul said, I'm writing to my son Titus. He meant his spiritual son. There was something that, kata, that brought them together, and that was this common faith, this trust in Jesus as God and their Savior. We all share that common faith. We just professed it a few minutes ago. That brings us together as brothers and sisters in faith. And for some of us, it might be a parent-child relationship. And for others, it might even be a mentor-mentee relationship. But we're all gathered together as God's people because of that common faith. And that was going against what what people were hearing from others around them on the island of Crete. They were saying, oh no, a few special people are the ones who are saved by God. And Paul said, Titus, you get out there, and he uses that four-letter word again, kata, in every town, because God wants all people to hear about Jesus and to be saved. Pastors have a, a second responsibility in serving God's people, and that is, needing to be faithful to the work God has given them to do. He said, that's the reason I left you in Crete, that you can put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. God wants pastors to organize his people and to put them to work, to not pass up any opportunity or any open door. He says, anything that was left unfinished, make sure you're dealing with it. So if there's an opportunity for ministry, do it. And appoint leaders, elders, in every town to help carry out that work. God has brought all of us into his kingdom. And he has given to all of us gifts, abilities. We heard that before from Ephesians 4. But your gifts and abilities might be different than my gifts and abilities. But whatever gift God has given us, he wants us to use it. The gift he has given us is our calling to use it in his service. And whatever calling he has given us, whatever opportunity he has given us, he also supplies those gifts. And so we need to be faithful in carrying out this work. We also want to recognize what it is he wants pastors to do with their own personal lives, and this really applies to everybody. We need to be faithful to his will for our life. And so now Paul gives them a list of what we might call some vices to avoid and some virtues to go after. Here's the list. An elder must be blameless. And with the word elder, he means any leader, a pastor, must be blameless. I didn't say faultless. He said blameless. That is, not living in such a way that people will see you as a terrible person. How can he be a follower of God? Look at the way he lives. We've got to be blameless. Faithful to his wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Boy, are my kids going to get it when I get home. <laughs> Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Not overbearing, not mean and, and pushy. Not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, no substance abuse. Not violent, whether with words or or physically. Not pursuing dishonest gain, not being greedy. For after after all, the Lord teaches us, what what do you profit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? He goes on, he says, rather he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. In other words, 
our life is to be controlled by the Spirit of Christ who lives in us, not by the Spirit of this world. Now, in order to do that, he gives some further instructions. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What he's teaching us is that we also need to be faithful to his word. (laughs) He uses that four-letter word again. Hold faithfully, firmly to that truth. That's the relationship. Don't take your eyes off it. Don't deny it. Don't doubt it, but hold to it. No matter what the world says, no matter what your doubts say, no matter what the world might be doing to you, hold firmly to that word of truth. Because, as he said, it is what we use to encourage others. With sound doctrine, the word sound there means healthy doctrine, teaching that brings life. Because it's teaching us about the forgiveness and love of our God in Jesus. That's what God wants his pastors to do. Serve him and serve his people faithfully. So as a congregation, as we start focusing now on our future and calling another pastor, we're going to have in mind, if only we had a pastor who, and you can find a lot of different ideas on that, a lot of good ideas, but let's keep it simple and basic foundational to what the Bible says. First, we want a pastor who is faithful in serving God and serving his people with his faithful word. And if you pray that, then you're going to have everything else that you need. So Lord, give us such a pastor. Amen.